Yes, and we're back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. July 15, 2019, the third anniversary of the single most important and persuasive political documentary of all time, Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party by Dinesh D'Souza. Maybe the most successful uh, documentary ever done. That's tongue-in-cheek. It was terrible. He's not good. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, show that comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was, getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come, hashtag MMOW, hashtag MMO Weekly. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host Also Mike. Also Mike here, a little bit lighter of a week, but we do have some Oscar race implications right off the bat. We did our mid-year Oscar report. Part one was released last week. Part two is already recorded and ready for you guys this week, so we're getting back to our our roots here. The horse race stuff and the stuff that we do best and why we started this in the first place, getting into the nitty-gritty of the Oscars picture. Let's take a look at what's up this week with the Oscar race update. The Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... The Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar race update. All right, my couple of stories to lead off. So the woman in the window was delayed. We talked about this one. In part two, yes, which is going to come out Wednesday. We already which recorded. Means nothing it. to anybody right, right now. <laughs> but this is weird, huh? This is very weird. We apparently had the mystery was too confusing for test screenings, and they're gonna have to do some reshoots to make it easier for us dumb audience members. <laughs> yeah. Throw away my picks for Tracy Letts, best adapted screenplay. Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor for score. I am dumb because this movie has been officially pushed to 2020. Yeah, so we recorded part one of our mid-year Oscar report, giving some breakdowns. If you haven't joined us for any of those episodes, part two, like we said, is coming out this week. We're going category by category. We split all the Oscar categories up over three episodes. We're talking about what we think is a front runner, what is a likely nominee in a wild card, and Woman in the Window is supposed to be a heavy Oscars contender, which is all the more bewildering when you look at why this is being reshot. Apparently, it's too confusing for test audiences. The mystery doesn't translate or make sense. I find this all very odd to believe. Is this a book you've read? No, it was not a book okay. I've read, but it's a book I've almost read a bunch of times. Does that count? Uh, yeah, that's, that counts for something. <laughs> I've heard it's along the lines of, like, The Woman on the Train. I've not read it either, but the story is as unbelievable as, like, The Woman on the Train or The Girl from the Train, whatever that Emily Blunt movie was. Train. Joe Wright doesn't make confusing movies. Gary Oldman and Amy Adams don't star in movies that aren't good. I don't understand. This does this. Something is not making sense about what's going on here to me. I love Joe Wright's Atonement. I mean, if yeah. he made it on the same vein as that. Plus, I think we enjoy a movie that confuses us sometimes. Sure, I, we'll rewatch that. We're the type of movie watchers that'll get mad at our own intellectual, I guess, failings. Yeah. So we'll respect the movie more. I would figure that at least Oscar audience would do so just like us. But you have test audiences, and I guess they're playing for for dollars here. You have Amy Adams. You have Gary Oldman. You have Julianne Moore. Like, uh, Joe Wright, we said, uh, yeah, has done a lot of good movies. Yeah, this is a gigantic red flag because this goes from now Oscars contender and supposed Oscars favorite in a lot of ways. And I'm sure a lot of people were thinking about Amy Adams. We talked during part two about how 
a lot of sites right now when they're talking about the lead actress category. It was like a three-horse race of people they were sure would be nominated, and Amy Adams was one of them. And now it's, if you're reshooting it to make it more clear, you got to wonder a couple things. One, how confusing was it, obviously, in the first case? Two, when are they going to re release it now? I mean, do they even bother waiting until next award season? This was supposed to be an October release. Do they maybe just get it out of their system in February or March of 2020? We're going to know how good this movie is by the change of the release date because yeah. this is another one of those Disney-acquired Fox properties. So this is also caught in that melee. Mm -hmm. Is Disney just saying that, all right, we don't want to put too many eggs in too many baskets now that we're in charge of this property. Are they are they looking for an excuse to delay it to 2020, perhaps? That, that's, that's a scuttlebutt if that I'll were, start. If they were looking for an excuse, I don't think they would go through the motions of actually reshooting parts of the movie. And that would just be a colossal waste of money, wouldn't it? Rather than just sitting on it and saying we're going to play it for 2020? If they do think it's good and it just needs some clarifying... Maybe that the, the reshoots Maybe. are justified yeah. if, if everybody's game for it, if everybody thinks it's an Oscar hopeful for the next year. So does it get delayed to February 2020 or does it get delayed right. to September, October of 2020? Right. That's going to tell us. There's there's a lot of pitfalls and, and some good in both sides of the argument. This is a really bizarre story. It really came out of left field, and I don't know that many people were expecting this. So we're going to see. We're in a holding pattern. Maybe the woman in the window becomes the Oscar contender of 2020, the 2020-21 show. So, uh, God, I don't know. I, I have serious concerns about it now, but we will see how that shakes out. Mike, we've got another story related to the Oscars world, though. Yeah, The Farewell, this is the Aquafina dramedy, is getting rave reviews. It cur it's currently at 100% on 90 total reviews on the tomato meter. Audience score is also 100%. Wow. Uh, early score only on 20 ratings, though, so that doesn't... I don't know if that counts. I don't know if Rotten Tomatoes audience scores are busted or whatnot. Yeah, they're slowly reintroducing them, so they're going through a whole narrative. We've talked about that on previous MMOW shows. The Farewell has also gotten a 90 meta score. It's very high. That went down to an 89 at the beginning of the week with a 7.2 IMDb audience score. So are we buying The Farewell as that Cinderella contender yet? That Cinderella underdog that really could fly into this Oscar race. I don't know where we sit on it for Oscar purposes yet. That 7.2 is a little concerning considering all the other really, really high scores this has. Why is the first blush of this movie to regular users so kind of middling? Well, maybe it's some vegetables and that doesn't necessarily play poorly on an Oscar as right, um, you're if right. It's, if it's an art film at the end of the day, if it's saying things that are tough to take, I mean, that's fine for Oscars, for awards season. Yeah, it usually does translate more towards people going to see the movie, but even that has its high marks. The Farewell debuted on four screens this weekend. It had a per-theater average of over $88,000 per screen. That's the current high mark amongst per-theater averages for 2019. That beats out even what Endgame did in its opening weekend wow. by about $12,000 per screen. But they're on 400 million screens. Sure, right. I mean, there's a giant difference <laughs> but it is also the highest mark for a per theater per screen average uh since the favorite last thanksgiving did over a hundred thousand dollars per screen in its opening so people are going to see this usually that high limited release high per screen theater mark does translate to oscar contendership We've talked a lot about Aquafina, a former Six Degrees of MMO champion, getting in her name into the Oscars race, taking on the more serious role. I'm hopeful for it. This is definitely something we will review, and we'll probably give it an Oscar Sprint profile, that full breakdown to it at some point. Yes. So, yeah, I, I sign me up. I hope this has the legs that it's shaping up and suggesting to have. 
She's got the single name power as well. Yes. So yes, that, that, that is another mark in her favor. Zendaya having a year. Mm-hmm. Aquafina having a year. <laughs> the final story for this Oscar race update is that we're looking ahead to 2020 yet again here. David Fincher's next film is starring Gary Oldman, and it's about the making of Citizen Kane, Michael. This movie is called Mank, M-A-N-K. Apparently it's about the nickname for Herman Mankiewicz, one of the screenwriters, the fabled screenwriters of Citizen Kane, that, that movie itself. So to me, Fincher is making a movie about writing a movie and not just any movie, the film school favorite the of all movie, time. Yeah, the movie <laughs> of movies. Has Fincher ever done a biopic? I don't Benjamin think so. Benjamin Button doesn't count, right? <laughs> Not in a lot of ways, no. Uh, yeah, so I'm very interested to see this. We both are huge fans of David Fincher. Where yeah. Everybody's a fan of Gary Oldman. The, the Herman Mankiewicz story, seeing this story in the news spurred me to go look up the guy's Wikipedia page and do a little research. Yeah, he was pretty much one of the head writers responsible for getting Paramount to where it is. He did not only uh, Citizen Kane is what he's most known for, but he was part of The Wizard of Oz. He was basically one of the first screenwriting closers that we talk about uh, still as a job today that a lot of people get hired to do and fix scripts, mm-hmm. and that was kind of his forte. So he was actually uncredited on a lot of other screens, uh, screenplays. He also did other famous properties like Pride of the Yankees, Pride of St. Louis, stuff like that, all, all the early 30s and 40s film. Really does have a fascinating life. He was kind of plucked from being a newspaper reporter himself, and hmm. he was a movie critic. And he was apparently one of the funniest men that people would talk to all the time. So he was plucked from that world, put into Hollywood. And then when he got to Hollywood, he shot up the ranks of Paramount and then brought in other New York-based reporters and writers into Hollywood. So he basically transformed the industry from a very early age by bringing in these large swaths of new reporters to make them screenwriters. Really kind of a fascinating story. So there's certainly a lot of meat on the bone here. You go and talk about Gary Oldman doing it. That's more reason to be excited about David Fincher. I I don't remember a movie I did not like of his, but I have not seen a couple. (laughs) In a way, it mirrors Fincher's own career where he came over from commercials and music videos. You know, he's had a transition or three or five in his past and his resume there. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm fascinated, and it's also going to be a Netflix original film here. Got to keep spending that money to get your name in those Oscars. Netflix is kind of making a play to be just a serious movie house right now. Where we saw, we've talked about how we kind of thought they should stay in the middling budget project. That's kind of where their sweet spot is. Those those Sandra Bullock horror movie type projects. Those can be where they make their money. But apparently they have higher aspirations. This suggests to me that they just want, they're ready to take on Disney. They're ready to take on everybody. Yeah. They made 80 films. I heard that somewhere. Unbelievable. Uh, a year or two ago, which is more than any other studio. Unbelievable. It's crazy. All right, so that's your Oscar race update. This is a couple snapshots of what we have in store. Looking forward to all the uh, Academy Awards shows of not only this year, but in the future. We will keep an eye on these stories as they progress and keep you in the loop about all of them. But now we'll move on to talk about what we have been watching this week, Michael. Yes, this is what we're watching. Thank you. That's an Aaron Neville type take by you this week. I appreciate you it. You often quote me singing like that guy. Well, as you heard me. That's Aaron Neville. Isn't oh. It? Yeah. I still can't a, place the band though. Who's, a, what's the band? I don't think. Oh, uh, he was in something with his brother. I think I don't know. I'm not, I'm not old enough to remember. I don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> what do you got? I was going to be worried about you if, if you did know. It's not the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, Michael McDonald. Yeah, that's yeah, Michael yeah, McDonald. Yeah. All right, so I watched Plus One. This was the 
Tribeca Film Festival Audience Award winner that came out to like no fanfare. We totally missed it coming out on VOD. Yeah, it came for out sure. June fifteenth on VOD, and I was waiting for this movie. And for whatever reason, well, I know what reason. Tarantino rewatch, Pixar rewatch. <laughs> we were busy. I didn't catch it early. I watched it twice this oh, really? weekend, Mike. It was adorable, funny. It was happy. Maya Erskine, who we did for a Six Degrees, yeah, she should become a star after this. I uh, love her. This is a romantic comedy, but it breaks a lot of cliches. Or it seemingly does that. We have Jack Quaid, who's super likable in this one too. But they spread the jokes around. Like Maya Erskine is getting most of the jokes, which is very refreshing. Is yeah. that something that Good. a lot of rom coms do in particular? He, he sets her up so often. But to me, this is a B plus all day. I'm really glad I rented this one for eight bucks. It saved a very bad day of movie watching for me, <laughs> where I was trying to catch up on a lot of VOD stuff. Yeah, uh, so we reviewed the trailer for Plus One not too long ago on a different MMO Weekly, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we both said how giddy we were to see that, so I'm glad it lived up to the hype. The trailer was funny, and there's a lot more jokes in the real good. thing, so I was really happy with that. And I still laughed at the trailer jokes, which right. is a good sign. <laughs> yeah. You know, the trailer they weren't jokes worn were, out on you, that's good. excellent. I watched The Kid Who Would Be King. Why? Because Joe Cornish. <laughs> okay. And Joe Cornish directed Attack the Block. He was mm-hmm. a producer on the Cornetto trilogy. I think it was sort of kind of named after him there. And a candy bar. Mm-hmm. I know this. Right. Pretty epic. It was kind of scary for a kid's movie, which I respect. But it is utterly preposterous. You have giant skeletons <laughs> wielding fire swords and swinging and missing fat little kids. <laughs> Like, they're very fat, and they're very unathletic, and they're apparently agile enough and capable of fighting off these giant skeletons and all these monsters and dragons, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, you would think, yeah, all right. Look, I'm still a little fat kid myself. Mm-hmm. I have the same athletic prowess as one of those kids myself. You don't think you could take a sword-wielding skeleton? No, no, I would cut myself. I would I would fall over myself. Like, these kids at the beginning of the movie, he's, like, falling into puddles, and then next thing you know, he's fighting off dragons. We would all be immediately dead, you and I and these kids in this scenario. Uh, it's cute. You got some fun things with the Merlin character. The Rebecca Ferguson, thank you. Uh, mm. She is the, the villain. She is Morgana, the, the like, Medusa-type which, You're saying all these things, and all I can think of in my head because is it's the King Arthur story, the kid in King Arthur's court. It, that's that a, old Disney movie from uh, like the early '90s that went straight to VHS. Totally the King yeah. Arthur story, like redone. What right. if, what if all that happened again? But the kids, <laughs> come on, come on! It's one of the corniest movies I've ever seen. All right, fair enough. So we got like one good, one in the middle of the road. Missing Link is also bit middle of the road for me it started out very promising Hugh Jackman's doing a, a great job it's fun like they're investigating the Loch Ness Monster then Bigfoot and that's cool I like cryptids mm-hmm. I really do I love the introduction to most of the characters you got this assassin who's out on their trail and he's nasty he's got he's a bald guy with a, a, cl- a claw mark over the top of his bald head which is crazy so looking. he's not, not quite bullseye from Daredevil not Colin Farrell's bullseye Almost, Almost Colin Farrell's bullseye. <laughs> Some of this was funny. They landed a few good jokes and reversals throughout the plot line, but the action for a stop-motion claymation movie yeah. from Leica, it goes so slow, Mike. Sometimes I appreciate the choreography, but most of the time it's just way too slow. It's not like Wes Anderson. Like when he does action right. in a stop-motion movie, it's just like a big scrum. He's a master and it, of it, yeah. he, he does it as a joke. Sure. 
this they're trying to pull off the action and it really didn't work and it doesn't land for me so unfortunately that movie i don't think it should be a best animated feature contender but in a week weaker year for nominees seems three, like that this five, is yeah which we talk about again stay tuned for our episode coming out wednesday where we talk about animated feature going forward if you thought Missing Link's review was bad, what about Dumbo, Mike? This is my first D grade of the year. <laughs> it's infuriating, and if I were to give this a fuller review, I would spit venomous cynicism. Yeah. Because I think Tim Burton is really talking down to us with all the manipulation on and display this is here. one where Colin Farrell would have been better off playing the bullseye character in the Dumbo world. It's like everything is trying to get us to feel for these characters, but really we just get angry at everybody. <laughs> And I, I'm going to hold back here because I don't like to get, give negative sure. reviews, but this is very, very disappointing. This is not a good movie, is what you're saying. Absolutely yeah. not. And then Did my, Danny DeVito save it in any way, shape, or form? No. Oh, that's sad. Not even Danny. Damn. Not even all Mr. Right. DeVito, one of our favorites. Yeah. So it's really bad. And then all the stuff with the mother elephant and the baby elephant. That's the most adorable baby elephant in the history of the world. And the fact that everybody doesn't recognize this and treat treat that elephant kindly, <laughs> it just makes me so angry. So we have big criticism marks against sword-wielding skeletons and cute baby elephants in the way they're treated. That's correct. All That's right. correct. Dark Phoenix is my first F grade of the year. I reviewed this. You have not been high on this on a couple episodes here now. I reviewed this on our X-Men in the MCU mm-hmm. speculation extravaganza episode that we released We're calling on that an Friday. extravaganza, are we? I am naming it as an <laughs> extravaganza. Right. I re-listened to it, and I thought it was terrific. You we thought, covered, you thought, like, you thought this meets the threshold of extravaganza. Yeah, we, how many theories? How many theories? <laughs> it was a lot of episode. Yeah, we dished on it. We give you your, you know, movie talk fix in that one. We Absolutely. speculate on a lot of things. It's a good Comic Con preview. Did I yeah. pitch that enough? Anyway, that was a fun episode to record too. Uh, this. Dark Phoenix movie just makes it all the more necessary for Marvel Studios and Disney to get a hold of this property, to get a hold of X-Men, because it's terrible. It's probably going to put the nail in the coffin of the new mutants or whatever that final X-Men one was going to be in 2020 anyway. I watched a couple old movies, and actually the best thing I watched this week was Frost Nixon. I I stayed up. I was going to... Holds up, huh? It was going to be a falling asleep movie for me, but uh, I I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I stayed up to 2 in the morning, I think, on... Saturday, Friday night. I'm saying when the president does it, it's not illegal. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. That's my French Angela as Nixon. And I chipped away at watching three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri this week, rewatching that. Did you grow a new appreciation for what Peter Dinklage is doing in his little screen time? He's great. I watched that, I rewatched that after we covered it for the Oscars race sometime a couple months later, and I was like, man, how did Dinklage not get more recognition as supporting actor? He's wearing everything on his face in that movie. He's incredible. But yeah, yeah both of these movies are, are awesome. Best thing I watched this I'm week. I'm glad to hear Frost Nixon held up. X-Men Days of Future Patch, I mentioned that on the other episode. Finally, Mike, yeah. I watched... Anima. This is the 15-minute Tom York from Radiohead, Paul Thomas Anderson-directed like <laughs> music video. This sounds like something that was made specifically to spite me. Well, if you are spited by 15 minutes of music video in Prague that's interpretive dance, then yeah, you'll, you'll be spited. I'm so tired. Smited, I'm spited. so tired of Tom York. I'm so tired of him. You didn't have a Radiohead face? No! I, I have been I've been disgusted with Tom York for You don't play creep at your concerts? What the hell are you doing? Why do you think people are showing up? You don't play creep at your concerts. They don't like their their hits. They kind of go against that. So this is 
like the antithesis of your favorite genre of music. Yes. Just play the hits, let me sing along, and get the hell <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> okay, you won't like this. <laughs> All right, Mike. See you guys. You had a lot of stuff this week. I, I'm tempted to pick the worst of you, but I'll, uh, I'll I, I, since Plus One was such your glowing review over all the others, we'll try to go middle of the road with stuff. Uh, see by Skip, The Kid Who Would Be King, Missing Link, and I guess we'll throw in uh, your Anima music video there that you ended on. I'm not against things like Anima coming on a Netflix, a 15-minute short film okay. by a great director. Sure. I'm curious to like rewatch. I was everybody said mesmerizing. That's a strong word. Yeah, because it's Tom York. Because he's got all these people under a freaking spell. Like everything he does. He's like, I took a poop this morning. It's amazing. Look at all the symbolism in it. He takes symbolic poops. <laughs> I don't know. I I I'm kind of. I would see that again for sure. All right. I think I would buy Missing Link just because of the animation, and I would skip The Kid Who Would Be King. I don't think I'd want to watch that again. All right, easy enough. You said the best thing you saw this week was that Frost, Nixon, and Three Billboards held up, or is there something else? Yeah, that, that I mean, X-Men Days of Future Past, I put I grouped those three together. Yeah. Those were awesome. Fair enough. Good to know. How about you, Mike? Uh, I watched the Aziz Ansari comeback uh, thing that stand-up special right now on Netflix. Like, he, it's really current and does a lot of good, and it touches on a lot of relevant stuff. I had a huge problem with the way he handled the accusation he went through last year because he kind of addresses it right off the top, which I thought was good and it needed to be addressed. It was the big elephant in the room. But he takes less than three minutes talking about it, less than four minutes talking about it, and doesn't really say he did anything wrong, which is fine because it could be a difference of interpretation. I don't know. I Obviously, we believe the victim, and when she said something happened, I believe something happened to her. But he says he, he obviously thinks he didn't do anything wrong, and then in the very next bit he goes into it's unironically bashing other issues that come up social justice issues that come up and take hold of social media which is basically a spin-off of how he got caught in the first place if that if his victim or his accuser kind of was inspired to speak up or felt she was comfortable enough to speak up because of the me too movement i just thought that was really in bad taste and a weird awkward way to start off the, the his wow. comeback special it really left a bad it. taste in my mouth and it's a good special like i was laughing in other parts he does make a lot of comments about you know introspection and he does say he learned and he grew from it and it comes off as believable to me but that was just a really really poor way f- to me to start off this with that looming over the whole thing you seem horrified by that yeah i wasn't a fan at all i i thought it was really I, borderline offensive like at best i thought it was short-sighted at worst it was completely tasteless so it's somewhere in between there to me the way it was handled i could be wrong it could be my interpretation of things but i, I I, I just had a real issue with it. It kind of tainted the first half hour or so for me. I did ease up into watching the rest. I thought he made some good points. He kind of has some good one-liners in there, uh, talking about woke white people and fake woke white people and how things don't just become racist when white people figure it out. <laughs> that was funny and a good part. That's he said funny. you could watch things. I thought this was very relevant to our Tarantino watching. He said you could watch recent things with 2019 eyes and things can change, sure. as in the way we watch the Tarantino videos and movies from the past couple years and with 2019 eyes now that things are more prevalent and we give more consideration to certain issues that we probably should have given consideration to all along Mm -hmm. but now we definitely do how that casts a new light so he does make good points 
I, I would just skip the first half hour of it because I just was, I couldn't get past it. It was tough for me. Wow. Shit's Creek, I started on a lark. I don't know if I talked about this last week, but I started that. I just knocked out like the first season on a binge last week. I don't think I talked about it, so I thought so I'd bring it up here. this is Eugene Levy. This is his son in yeah. this as well. Yeah, it's him and his son are, his real life son are actually. Catherine it. O'Hara. It's funny. I mean, it's exactly, you know, it, it kills a half hour every episode. It kills your mind and it's just this well-to-do, these people that couldn't be more white privileged and wealth privileged that get everything taken away from them. And it's basically a different version of the Arrested Development family, except yeah. they actually have to live in squalor a little bit. I did watch the first episode of this a while back, and it was fine. Yeah. I just it didn't grab me to watch the rest of it. There's people online that rave about it. Yeah. And so I, I finally took the dive, and I'm like, I'll give it a chance. And yeah, it's funny. I don't think it's anything, like, epic. I don't think you have to go out of your way to see it, but... If you need to kill 20 minutes, it'll kill 20 minutes for you each episode. Is it Christopher Guest-flavored comedy, kind of, or is it different? No, it, yeah, it is. I mean, it's there's definitely the inspirations and the, the hallmarks of it are there. You could see that. Anything with Eugene Levy is going to make you laugh, right? So he's... He, Catherine O'Hara kills me, Catherine too. O'Hara is very... She's very good in that role, too. That kind of Lucille Bluth-esh <laughs> role. I, I, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's a good show. I, I enjoyed it. And now, I love you, now die... Your brother started watching this. It's a case I was following. Why does it happen? It's this text messaging case. There's now a documentary series on HBO about it. I watched the first episode and a half of it. If you don't know the case, this girl, high school girl, had this boyfriend who she had only seen like five times in person. They lived about an hour away from each other, but they texted heavily, repeatedly, all day, every day. The kid, the young man, committed suicide, oh. uh, and it became to light that the girl was basically encouraging him to take his life, and up to not just saying like I think you should do it, but being like he sat in a car with the motor on to try to kill himself. She was saying you can do this, you can do this. He got out of the car because he was starting to fade, and he wanted to, he was having second thoughts, and she was like, "Get back in the car. You have to do this. You got to do it. You're only going to regret it if you don't." It became a huge court case and a big legal precedent setting case because Ugh. she was charged under Massachusetts law with manslaughter. This is a fascinating case. I, I mean, take the disgustingness and the grotesqueness of what actually happened aside, which oh you have to do as God. a lawyer sometimes. It, it's heavy. It's absolutely heavy. But I don't think people realize how important this case might be on a legal level for the future. I mean, going forward, we're in this new world now where... Essentially, we need to re we need to have new cases come forward. That's going to rebase what common law is in the age of the internet, because the internet and text messaging and streaming services this is all new land that has never even been considered or thought of. So it's really the wild west right now until cases like this come along and set precedent of what is and what is not certain things. God, so think of the impl implications. Oh, it's though. it's it's massive. Like you can have comments on YouTube. Yep. you can have Facebook. It's messages. totally a free speech issue it's totally a criminal uh, criminal law issue it, it it touches on so many things there are a lot of lawyers and attached to the case and not attached to the case legal experts that are interviewed throughout the, pro the uh, documentary series at least so far that i've seen uh they do a good job of breaking it down i think it actually spurred me to start writing i have like two pages written of my take on this i don't know if i'll ever actually finish it or if i'll ever actually release it but i think there's a bright line difference between what the prosecution is trying to prove and what they actually should be trying to prove. I think they get lost in the minutia there. Maybe if this comes up for some reason where, I, where we could talk about it more, I'll get into it, but it's a lot of legality and stuff, and it's a lot of ethics, ethical conversation, and 
like your reaction just said, you do focus on the grossness, and it is a terrible case. There was a young man full of promise and potential who took his own life, and there was a girl who seemingly helped, at least through words with motivation of that. And that is horrible. That is horrific. Uh, and it's horrific on for both families, and it's horrific on a lot of levels, uh, mental oh. mental levels, etc., etc. So uh, I don't know if we'll ever talk about this in full. If we do, I'll get more in-depth into it. It is a fascinating watch. If you are of the type where you can leave your views and your emotions of what happened aside... I think that's well worth your time because it is the precedent this is setting is really, really interesting and really unfounded. Now, you know how the case ends? I, I know what happened. I know what the, the ruling was, yeah, from, from this the superior court level in Massachusetts. I don't know if it went to appeal. I, oh, it did go to appeal, as a matter of fact. They, they're in the appeals court. So I don't know if they got to a Supreme Court, a state Supreme Court ruling on it or not. I know what the original verdict was. I don't know that I agree with it, but again, if we ever come up and we ever get there, I'll uh, I'll dive deeper into that and put my legal hat on for everyone. Wow! Uh, but yeah, that's those were the big things I, I watched this week because I find Mike when we're under a time crunch like we are with me going on vacation next week and we're trying to do a lot of stuff at once. We're doubly recording, yes. right? I find apparently I don't like to just watch mindless crap. I like to get into the nitty-gritty of the most hardcore, terribly <laughs> mind-bending shit yeah. that I need to focus on, apparently. Apparently. So, that's what I did with my free time. <laughs> All right, so see by Skip, Aziz Ansari's right now, along with Shit's Creek, and I love you now, die. What so, the fuck? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, how do you break this down? This is so difficult. I, I would say... It's important for everyone to familiarize themselves with what's happening in I Love You Now Die because it is truly a case, like you said, I mean, you bring it up, the point that this could affect YouTube comments, this could affect text message exchanges, this could affect jokes between two people if there's a paper trail now in this new world where there's always a paper trail because somebody's always watching. And those are the innocent things. Exactly. So th this could yeah, have it's huge... somewhat innocent. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. I mean, on its face, it's innocent. This could have huge implications for everyone in their everyday life. For that reason, if you can stomach what happened and what the backstory of this is against, and it's a really messed up thing because it has to be this gruesome and this weird of a backstory for this issue to get to this point. Yeah. So it's kind of a necessary evil in that way. Emphasis on evil, I guess. But uh, I think that's a necessary buy. I think people have to see it, not that you want to. I think there is a lot to be learned, too, from Aziz Ansari. But if you don't want to put yourself, if you're one of those people that can't stand anyone accused of these things in the Me Too movement, you could skip it just as easily. I think it's worthwhile seeing. I do think there's stuff to learn from it and glean from it. So I'll say C is ease and skip shits creek i didn't think you'd go that way yeah i didn't either <laughs> i'm surprised the best thing i watched this week i don't know <laughs> it's been a long week inglorious bastards yeah probably probably one of the tarantino movies inglorious bastards that'll wrap up what we watched this week a little bit wordy but we had to be a little wordy because we got no audience interaction stuff this week michael yeah we screwed up yeah and our audience kind of showed us we screwed up mm. that olivia wilde to megan rapino six degrees of mmo apparently they're in a music video together brilliant by our audience members yeah look great out job on that listen i have faith Right, we mm -hmm. say we do no research with the six degrees stuff when we put them out there. We should do some. So research. if there's anything like this that pops up, I I have no doubt that 
the frequent flyers that participate are going to point it out immediately. Immediately, and we tell should us how have, stupid we are. We should have yeah. at the time figured something out. But again, we're recording twice as much this week, right. this past week than usual because we're trying to get ahead for vacation week. So you guys don't miss a beat with our podcast feed. Mm-hmm. So we forgot to handle this correctly. So apologies. We're going to add a caveat to this that I like hopefully this. makes it more fun. We will accept. You know, if you've already... Yeah, if you you have them, send them. Whatever you have, send them. And if you want to submit twice and do a new one with this new caveat, send that too. So we're going to say Olivia Wilde to Women's World Cup, Golden Trophy winner. Golden Boot and Golden Golden something else. She was the best player and the most prolific gold scorer. Megan Rapinoe there. We're going to keep that. But the Lion King's coming out this week, so we're going to say... You have to go through that noise. No, you have to go through Simba. Yeah. So Olivia Wilde through Simba to Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. It's fun. Because we like when current events are involved. <laughs> it makes us feel like we're doing something. Here. We're dorks. So that's your new challenge. It's Again, if you have them, if you're sitting on something for Olivia Wilde to just Megan Rapinoe, that's great. Send it along. We'll break those down and we'll review those next week on MMO Weekly. For now, we'll slide into a box office update, Michael. Yeah, The Lion King had a $15 million Friday in China. So all this says to me is that something like Mulan, with the Asian culture that it speaks to and the background that it has, is going to do gangbusters. Gangbusters? Yeah. Look, the biggest blockbusters do like a $50 million opening day domestically, but... The fact that that's a big number, like fifteen million, yeah. that that's starting to say something. Like that's going to make sixty million over that weekend yeah, for, make the, a, for the film. So. The Lion King is definitely going to be, be a billion dollars, and that's all the more reason they got to tell us if it's animated, if it's being considered for animated feature or not, not, because. <laughs> It's the whole, you know, mystique of the live-action remakes. Yeah, I they, guess. The VFX are so good, or the animation's so good, that it looks like it's live-action. So that's what I've come down they on. They just want credit for as it, for VFX. That's all they care about. They don't care about getting an animated feature. I don't know. I think they're trying to be involved in more categories. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you're probably right. Uh, otherwise, what do we have? Spider-Man Far From Home had a $45 million second weekend for a $847 million take worldwide thus far, Mike. That's at times inspiring and also terrifying that a Spider-Man movie can approach a billion dollars on just two weeks' notice. Yeah, that's good, that's good for the sequelitis right now. Right. Is it a cure for the sequelitis? Not quite. Toy Story 4 is probably still trailing its predecessor it had a 20.6 million dollar weekend it's up to 771 worldwide not gonna hit a billion i don't think probably not uh crawl the uh, new alligator movie yeah crocodile it's probably alligator it's in florida i have no idea (laughs) the crocodiles are in egypt in africa a square is a rectangle (laughs) (laughs) it made 12 million this weekend 4.8 internationally for a 16.8 million dollar take in three days off a 13.5 million dollar budget so 13 and a half million if you go by the old two and a half standby 27 plus another six so we're talking maybe like a 33 35 million dollars it's gonna get get to all right it should get there stuber only made eight million that's sad Three international for 11 total. If you want to feel good about a story, go do a little research as to what Dave Batista and Kumail Nanjiani did on set of Stuber. Dave Batista specifically, Kumail joked about it. But they were both on Kimmel recently. And Dave Batista, because it was his first leading studio film, he got to know everybody in the crew on set yeah. and bought them all really close personal gifts. Like heartfelt, I know you need this in your life gifts. Wow. He's an amazing human being. He's like the most humble guy ever. And in telling that story, Kumail revealed that he bought 
nobody anything. And he's like, Dave Batista is such a sweetheart, he's the biggest jerk in the world. He made me look bad. He didn't let me know he was buying all these gifts for people. So then he, Dave offered... He's like, oh, I'll put your name on all the cards. He's like, that's even worse. <laughs> so funny story, but definitely worth your time. Cute, cute little anecdotes to go look up on. It YouTube. looks funny. I, I want to see it. Same at some here. Point. Uh, he was great, Camille Nanjiani on Bill Simmons podcast this week. Yes, he was. That's a good point. Yes, and, he was. Uh, I listened to that. It was an I hour interview. All it, just about. Yeah, I, I they're terrific. Yeah. Back and forth on the radio. There, I was learning stuff. But the, it, I think it's important because this was Camille's big follow up to the Big Sick. Yeah. And, it's a little upsetting that he chose this movie that didn't do so well. It's upsetting the movie. Yeah, I, it looked funny. I'm kind of... Comedies are... We might be in a dark place with comedies. I mean, the Seth Rogen movie with Charlize Theron, again, we thought... I mean, if this that comes out seven years ago, it's probably making $40 million in its opening weekend. It yeah. didn't do well at all. This Stuber comes out 10 years ago, it's probably $25 million, $20 million. No, just plus, not happening. Plus One is a quality movie, yeah. and nobody's seen it. Yeah. Nobody. What's yeah. going on? I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, in fifth place, yesterday picked up 6.7 for an $80 million worldwide take on a $26 million budget, so that's profitable. Yeah, kudos to you. You said it would get there. I didn't think it would, so that's a good call, good feather in your cap. Midsummer is up to $18 million. That was on a $7 million budget, so that's basically profitable or nearing the black, I Which guess. Which is there. important because even though it stumbled out of the gates, at least as compared to Hereditary, we want Ari Aster to make money on his films, to yeah. keep getting more money in the production budget and keep making films. Annabelle Comes Home is up to 173 worldwide, and Rocket Man's up to 179. The Annabelle number is a big number that I'm going to reference in the Do You Care segment when we get to a story about Disney kind of dominating the box office. Yeah. And I'm going to use it as evidence as to why all these other studios need to stop being so damn scared. Yeah, it's a big story. Yeah. But first, we got some trailer thoughts. Trailer thoughts! Only a few trailers this week, Michael. I was surprised we only had two yeah. really new trailers, and I'm stretching for the second one, even though it's kind of in my wheelhouse. I I don't think I've ever disagreed with you more than in the second trailer that <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about. Okay, we get there. <laughs> All right, so Judy, trailer two came out. This is the Judy Garland biopic with Renee Zellweger. So this is starting to look very Oscar-grabby now. Yeah, so is it oscar or is it Oscar-grabby? Is this I'm J. Saying, Edgar or is it The Revenant? I'm saying J., more yeah, J. Edgar at I, this point. I, I think I'm I worried. And it's not showing up on all of the lists like yeah. from Award Circuit, etc. Hair and makeup looks good. Yes, it does. And the, the lighting and cinematography yeah. looks good. You have a very manipulative trailer. And you have the first half being very... You know, narrative driven. This is her life and her turmoil and all the performance pieces, you know, aspects of it. And then the second half is the Over the Rainbow song, very sentimental, tug at your heartstrings. That that formula bothered me. If you want a funny practice, Nick Kocher, who we've interviewed on the show, <laughs> yeah, 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 Britannic, they did a spoof years ago called Every Academy Award winning trailer ever. Yeah. You play this trailer and that spoof side by side, it's the exact same beats really and notes yeah. and delivery. So you're at, I could not agree with you more here. This is worrisome as far as Oscar chances for Judy. And I didn't see any more Oscar reel scenes or big blowout scenes from her either. I was waiting for that. and we're, we're not, So like, I'm not watching this trailer and saying, oh my God, best yeah. actress. At least it's gonna be in the con she's going to be in the conversation. 
I don't I don't see it. I agree. Not yet. The, the biggest yeah. takeaway I got was hair and makeup, sincerely. I thought, well, at least maybe this could be the leader in the clubhouse because she does look radically different. Doesn't look like Renee Zellweger at all. Does look like the pictures we've seen of Judy Garland. So maybe there's some uh, foray to be made there. Yeah, maybe. All right, so the next trailer is Madness in the Method. I read your notes on this, and I just got, like, boiling anger inside my stomach. Okay, are you a big Kevin Smith fan? I love Kevin Smith. I, I am. am not. I, I know am you're a, not. I am. Uh, I don't think he's as funny as other people say. It's just not my right. sense of humor. that's fine. I, I think his horror movies are kind of mi- more misses than hits. Just not in for his stuff. Tusk was, like, a, a gross movie to me. I like Red State a lot. Yeah, and I didn't see Red Stone. All right. All right, so maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm ignorant. So That's fine. No, it has nothing to do. I don't think this has anything to do with being a Kevin Smith fan or not. There's one thing in this trailer that delighted me. Okay. And that was the fact that the method acting book is kept sacred in, like, this <laughs> box. And somehow Jason Muse gets it from his acting coach. And that, re- that made me laugh out loud. So that's why I included this trailer this week. And then I like that they have meta storylines and Jason Muse is like, and finally my career will surpass yours, yelling at Kevin Smith. This looks like a home movie that was never meant to see the light of day to me. Like you got yeah. B and C and D list actors. God bless Terry Hatcher and Dean Kane. I guess it's cool they share the screen again you together. You have the Superman, or what was it, Lois and Clark yeah, cast. like that's cool. They look ridiculous. <laughs> this looks... I don't know what they shot this on, but this looks like every like straight-to-DVD National Lampoon trailer I've ever seen. They feel like the Leonardo DiCaprio characters, at least Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher, the Leo character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're really toiling to get back to relevancy. Yeah. After their careers, and they're, they're on their way out. Except... All of them. Yeah, except, like, forgive me, they kind of are... <laughs> Right? So it's not really a joke? If they make a movie about getting back into the limelight, that could be funny. Yeah, I this I, I, I don't know. I was not a fan at all of this. I do not think I will be seeing this at any point. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'll just say that. All right, maybe you can cover it one It's got like the uh, Death Becomes Her premise with like the sacred DA right. thing, but it's a method acting book. Right, that's probably where they got I'm the inspiration for the tone from. But pretty sure that book exists somewhere, <laughs> and it is handled the same way. Yeah, it seems- Even if it has no magical qualities, it is handled that way. It's the Book of Eli type thing where everyone thinks it exists, but really it's just in Daniel Day-Lewis's head. Sorry for spoiling the Book of Eli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You did, you did. You yeah, spoiled did. the Book of Eli. And whatever. You jerky. <laughs> All right, let's transition here. Never an easy way to cover a death in the Hollywood family, but we do have one. As Rip Torn, you know him from Men in Black, the Larry Sanders show. He did pass away this week at the ripe age of 88. Uh, very very sad. sad news, obviously. Very big guy in the industry. Been in a lot, a lot of stuff had a very full life and a very full career on top of it 191 imdb credits 1956 to 2016 he was acting for a 60-year career there what a voice if you don't know rip torn he's got that that voice like that just a remarkable talent uh he will be missed i loved him in the larry sanders show that i started watching last year i mean forgive me but i know him best from men in black and singers he was in 30 Rock for about eight episodes. Dodgeball was a big role of his for That's this current That's right, generation. Dodgeball. I forgot. Dodge Wrench. Dodgeball. Made us laugh yeah. hard in that. And then he was the voice of Zeus in the animated Hercules. So right. for our generation, he One of the most there. notable presences, one of the most notable voices in Hollywood, one of the best Hollywood stage names ever, yes. Rip Torn. Uh, he will be sadly missed. Very sad to hear and read about that. But our condolences. Whole, whole life, 88. God bless his family, and uh, we'll try to move on somehow by playing this silly little Do You Care intro. 
you care segment this is where we take on the news stories of the week we ask each other do we should we or will we care about them the way we start every do you care segment is i ask michael what should we care about with these upcoming new releases hitting theaters this week and it's only two releases this week because only one thing is going nationwide and going crazy on every theater. The Lion King goes wide this week. The Lion King remake. David Crosby, remember my name, a documentary also goes limited in some theaters this week. Mike, do we care about either of those? I do, and I'm going to see it in theaters while you're away, I think, uh, because I want to see the, I want to have the big screen experience with the VFX. Yeah, I'll probably take my nephew to this in, uh, when, when I'm away. Yeah, I'm interested. And you know what? I said it a while back. Give me a shot-for-shot shot remake of the original because the original's thrilling. And if you do it with, you know, state-of-the-art special effects or animation, whatever you want to call it, I'm kind of in for that. You got Billy Eichner and uh, Seth Rogen. Apparently they steal the show as Timon and Pumbaa. Makes sense. You got the new song from Beyonce that we'll talk about in a minute. It's going to be an Oscar contender in VFX and perhaps another category. I'm in. I'm in. I, I, I'm shamelessly in. It'll... It... It's not making any headway with, like, Best Picture, which I thought it might if it was just a shot-for-shot remake of the original, but I guess because we've seen that already, maybe it's not anything innovative. And also, hey, Disney, pay the writers of the original since you're just redoing the movie anyway. They might have, yeah. They're not. They're not paying the original writers. They're saying it's a new property, so. But it's a shot-for-shot remake of the original. (laughs) Hey-oh. David Crosby, Remember My Name. This has an 86 Metascore. This played well at the film festivals. A.J. Eaton's documentary about the famous musician. I'm in. I, You know, I, I think uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash is a band that I'm unfamiliar with, but I've, I've heard a few songs here and there. So I, I love these music documentaries, and it did get a lot of buzz, I think, at Sundance, or if not Tribeca, and I'm going to see it. Southern Cross is a top 30 song of all time. Very good. Mike, <laughs> there was a great article this week by Stephen Galloway on The Hollywood Reporter about how other studios must reckon with Disney's release schedule and domination of the calendar. Do you care about this? Yes, I care insofar as, yes, Disney is turning into quite the <laughs> formative foe in the entertainment industry. They were citing, there was a site, one of the, uh, the four people that work for Forbes or studies in the market said they were in like a 40% share of the industry right now. Yeah. Dominate all their, all the prime time slots all the prime slots for dates for debuts and how other companies and studios are struggling to compete and how disney has such a financial advantage that if they need to cancel or change the debut date the fee to them is obviously pittance in comparison to a smaller studio where it's a bigger deal and they can't really move films around here's my take about all of this Mm -hmm. so yeah disney is obviously the big baddie in the industry but they're putting out a lot of live action remakes right now that aren't necessarily the best films Overall, like, yes, they're making money, but of course they're going to make money if you don't have anything good to counter-program it with. And even something like Annabelle that came out, which has done nearly $200 in just its first three weeks, can undercut something that Disney puts out. I mean, this is where we go back to put your resources into the writers. Stop worrying about only making franchise properties. Mm -hmm. Worry about making good movies. And this is why we need to go see stuff like Ad Astra, which hopefully is is better than it seems like it, it has been. Or Booksmart, yeah. Yeah, Booksmart, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a prime example of this. Yes. Get out and spend your money to see that because, I, yes, these films, we want more of them and they can survive. I'm of the belief that they can cut into what Disney's been putting out lately. Look, we're having sequelitis. We're having a, a lousy summer in terms of box office. Yeah, you can call it franchise-itis. 
franchise-itis. We're, we're having a, a rough release schedule dominated by Disney. And you wonder if that's forcing these other studios to put their bigger properties in lousier spots. And that's hurting them, and it's hurting everybody. Yeah, it's bad at, for everybody. Look at the properties overall. Fox, before they were bought by Disney, was putting out Dark Phoenix, which was a dud. Sony was putting out Men in Black International, which was a dud. These are all things that had production problems along the way anyway, yeah. because they're so worried that the franchises are the only things that can make money. And now we're not... Disney's already said they're only interested in franchise properties. They're not going to make original properties. Don't worry. Just worry about quality of movie. I don't understand why this is so hard. And maybe there's something I'm missing and I'm being mocked and laughed at. I'm sure I am by people in the industry that are in the know. But it seems to me that if you just make quality films, people will see them if they're marketed at least halfway to, to being seen by a big audience. At the same time, something like Booksmart does not do all that well. That's a failing on our part. I absolutely agree. I mean, you want you need to get out to see things like that, and you need to make a point of doing so. I just think that cowering in fear to this big bad mouse, because they're the ones that can handle the financial loss and blowback of moving a film and wanting to first run at the uh, advertising dollars that are in the commercials on TV, this all just sounds like there's no competition. Of course there's no competition because you're making it easy for them. If you get out of their way, there's not going to be any competition. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. Like, Booksmart made $21 million on a $22 million budget. What the hell that is sucks. going on there? Yeah, that sucks. That's, a, that's a, an excellent movie. It's, it's, it's as funny as Superbad. Remember Superbad making a ton of money years ago. I, 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 to to I, me, I, just invest in smart and creative filmmakers, screenwriters, and stop with the studio interference to worry about getting these things seen by wider audiences, worrying about make, turning these things into franchises and sequels. Just invest in... You can't tell me there isn't great movies to be made out there that are well, original properties. You look at Annabelle Comes Home and you look at Midsummer. they have low budgets. Is that what has to counter-program? Like, you can't counter-program with a $22 million budget you can count a program with a $7 million budget like Midsummer did when Spider-Man came out. And Midsummer's going to make money. And you can go for those big release dates. Maybe the new strategy has to be that. Like, you have to focus your counter... And it seems like they, they, they've been doing it. A24 is smart enough to do it. And they made enough money. And I, if you put Midsummer out in a low-traffic movie-going time, mm -hmm. would it already have made its money back? Probably not. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad point. I just also think that, and this is a point the article makes too, that horror has become such a burgeoning genre now because right. Disney isn't touching it, and that's probably only a matter of time too now that they have Fox. I so. mean, uh, come back to Book Smart again. It was in a low-traffic movie-going yeah. time period when it came out, and then it, it didn't even make its budget back, which is a damn shame. Damn shame. Rent that one on uh, VOD. When yeah, it comes please. Out, Let please. that thing make money at somehow, at least That's on the it. back end. But stop worrying about the Disney factor. My God. Just just concentrate on making a good movie. I'm, I'm with you, but I'm also a little cynical. Yeah. All right. Beyonce debuted a new song, which is called Spirit, which is going to take place probably within The Lion King. It has to do with The Lion King. What do we think about this? So I listened to this a couple times. I could totally see her performing at the Oscars. I don't know if this song is good enough. I, I think they got some gospel rhythms going on, which is fun. It also feels very Lion King-esque, which is fun. I can totally you know, hear this playing over the credits of the movie. I, obviously, we haven't seen the movie yet, so we don't know where it's going to fit in. It's a weak year for original song. Yeah, and it is. you have Beyonce's star power. You mm -hmm. have The Lion King and Aladdin premiering original songs that might get nominated. 
we don't know what's going to be out there. We're hoping Frozen Something too. from Frozen, probably, yeah. Uh, but that's you're, you're making a good point, and you would think that part of Beyonce signing up to be Nala in The Lion King was that she would get her own original song and a shot at her own Oscar here, so that makes sense. To me, this is not a no-brainer, though. Like I, was I haven't heard it yet, so. I was surprised. We'll uh, see. The Big Lebowski has filmed a spinoff, and this is called The Jesus Rolls. John Traturo has filmed a movie about the character of the Jesus. If of all of the Big Lebowski spinoffs that we could have gotten, <laughs> are, are, I'm shocked well, that this, this is, what, is the character. It's been we get. rumored for years. I mean, I, I can remember as far back as like the mid 2000s, this thing being kicked around and being rumored. So. I don't know, man. Has the ship sailed on the Lebowski era? Are we going to be able to introduce the new generation into appreciating how genius the big Lebowski was by having the Jesus spinoff movie? Jesus Quintana, directed by Totoro, starring Susan Sarandon, Bobby Cannavale, J.D. Smooth, Audrey to Tattoo. Listen, Tutu, I will from, see. From uh, uh, Amelie. <laughs> I'm mispronouncing French names. Yeah, we will see this. Absolutely, I will see it. And I'm excited for it. And I am a sucker for all things Big Lebowski. And I know your brother certainly will see it as well. I'm surprised that they're making a story about that character, though. That character's supposedly like a pedophile. He's a convicted sex offender. Well, there's an easy way to to make that comedic and could be a huge misunderstanding. He just ends up on the wrong side of it. Oh, my God. I can see them making a joke about it. But yeah, sure, I'm excited. I care about this. I hope it does well. They better make a joke about it. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, Mike. Marvel is expected to make some big announcement at Comic-Con. So, yeah, we were researching this ahead of the X-Men pod. Are they going to lock in Phase 4? Are they going to set their own Marvel Studios announcement at a different time? Are they going to announce anything new? I think they will announce something new at Comic-Con. I think it'll be Black Widow. Well, that's not new, though. We know about well, Black Widow. a trailer Widow. for Black Widow would be new. Yeah, and a, that would a release be new. date for Black Widow would be new. Shang-Chi. Yeah. Well, we know that's going to come out in May, though, right? I mean, it's Black not locked Widow. in. It's not locked no, in. It's we, rumored, we think. So, yeah. And then we think The Eternals is coming out in the, the following fall of 2020. Yeah. We don't know. We were thinking phase four could be a transitional phase. Are we going to get something that really shocks us about the Fantastic Four, leads us into something that can give us a, you know, an overall scope on the next big narrative they're going after? Is it X-Men versus the Avengers? Is it the multiverse uh, timeline? Is it that Doctor Doom story that we pitched where he gets all the vibranium from Wakanda? They can do a bunch of different things. I would love to have it be something that big and that expansive and that you know aspirational i think it's just too soon to talk about the x-men in the marvel universe like we talked about during that episode but if they want to go for it coming in a while it's yeah. not coming soon they want to go for something like that then we'll see but uh yeah it's always interesting marvel's got the cachet now anytime they're going to make some kind of big announcement they like to own these big conventions comic-con is the biggest of the big conventions so this makes a lot of sense and this yeah. adds up we'll have to cover it at the end of the month but i'm intrigued let's yeah. just say i do care Mike, Sherlock Holmes 3 is going to be directed by Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman Helmer, Dexter Fletcher. I care care if they make this a musical. (laughs) I think that would be cool. Robert Downey Jr. in a musical with his Sherlock character? I'd be down with that. Yeah, why not? That'd be something different. I Uh, don't think they're going to do that. Then I don't care. (laughs) You don't think he can handle it after acting in all the Guy Ritchie... You know, movies. The, I mean, because Guy, he's a protege of Guy Ritchie in many ways. I mean, they work together a bunch. Lock, stock, yeah, snatch. Uh, 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 make him sing, <laughs> dance for my enjoyment. <laughs> he's gonna do well with this. I, well, that's 
that's another thing. We got a period piece, so how can he put contemporary music to it? I don't know. Just do it. Just, Just do, do it. it. Stop asking questions. Like Mary Just do Antoinette. It. You know what? I'll tell you what. <laughs> Playing this conservative bullshit won't help you compete with Disney. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Go off the reservation. Do something wild. <laughs> we'll see. I don't, I don't think he will. I think they're going to make it. I don't think he will either. Like Sherlock Holmes 1 and 2? Cowards. Oh, no. Mike, <laughs> last story here. Ghostbusters 2020 is starting to get some more firm dates and firm people that are going to be involved. Do we care about that? Yeah, there's a sweet uh, set photo of Jason Reitman, the son, Ivan Reitman, the father and producer. Jason's directing it, including the central family involved in this Ghostbusters movie. You have Carrie Coon from The Leftovers, Gone Girl, she's a great actress, mm-hmm. Fargo TV series. She is the mother. You have McKenna Grace, who we know can act. We, we watched her in I, Tanya. Yeah. We just watched her in Annabelle Comes Home. Sure. She showcased her talents. Finn, great. Finn Wolfhard is going to be the older brother. He's from Stranger Things. He's from It. He could be foul-mouthed. He can be whatever. So is this normal. a family that fights ghosts now? That's what the Ghostbusters are? I have are? no idea, but to, for them to take the set photo, I thought it was a sweet thing to do yeah. with the, the father and son kind of doing their producer-director thing there. They got to get some good press for this movie because it's coming off the failure of the last movie. Some people are considerably aggravated by the whole direction of the franchise for reasons that we agree with and reasons that we don't agree with. Yeah, this is just another issue, though. I mean, this we just talked about how all studios seem to care about is franchising and sequels, and this plays right into that. I mean, is there a huge need to redo Ghostbusters again and just kind of cast aside what you just did? Yes, it's a nice cast. Yes, we like those people, but... You can't tell me they wouldn't be better served in more original properties with more funding behind them. Oh, we would love original properties to get hot again, wouldn't we? And that's like the theme of this episode. Yep. Well, that's a fun note to go out on. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about obviously any of these stories and anything else we're doing in the MMO Empire. As always, you could reach out to us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You hear podcasts, whether that's TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. If you type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar pretty much anywhere, you'll see our cartoon faces waving back at you. If you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind taking a couple seconds out of your day and leaving us a couple nice words on iTunes, we'd really appreciate those. Maybe even give you a shout out on the show. Uh, For all of that now, to get your week off started, Mike's going to give you some words of wisdom here and let you know what's coming next from MMO. I'm going to do both at once. Okay. Because the words of wisdom are, let's go see an original property on the 25th or 24th there with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We have been uh, hyping it up with eight. Currently, eight released episodes in our Tarantino series rewatch. We're going to have Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight coming out over the next two weeks. We're also going to do a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Top Fives episode to to preview that debut. And then, of course, we'll have a a major Oscar Sprint profile coming out of it probably the week after as you'll be coming home on vacation. Are you going to see this up there in uh, Vacationville? I don't think so. I'll probably wait until I'm back here. I might go uh, feed some more money into my podunk local theater here. Good. Yeah, have that VIP seating where I get the theater all to myself when I show up. through clenched teeth. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, I've seen it five times already. I won't be able to text you about it. Perfect. Yeah, you will, you will be Perfect. seeing it often. No, have a great time afraid. on your vacation. We are going to have a relatively normal release schedule, we yeah. think, we hope. And uh, we're, we're working double time for you guys. So we're going to have those Tarantino episodes. We're going to... 
We're going to have a, a, a kind of a fun additional episode. What else do we have, Mike? How do I not remember? We'll have the MMO Weekly. We'll have, oh, we'll have the mid-year the Oscars. <laughs> mid-year Oscars. Uh, report number two. Report number three. By the, uh, the end of the third week, you will have a, a, a major introduction, let's say, yeah. of every single one of the Oscar categories save the short films because nobody can introduce those yet <laughs> except Paul Thomas Anderson's Anima and maybe Pixar's and Bo Peep stories and we've already done that right. as well. <laughs> so uh, with all that to get you started on your way into this Academy Awards season guys when reality sucks you can come watch movies with us we are Mike Mike and Oscar trying to make that award season year round for you without the stuffiness we will check in with you in a few days see ya